Hello and welcome to Mohawk's Meet the Team series, a podcast dedicated to the team behind creating the strategy title, Old World. We'll get to know more about the team and their work on the project. This week, we speak to Aeneas, the quality assurance lead for Mohawk Games, and she articulates her hopes for the industry moving forward and much more, so stay tuned. Welcome to the show, Aeneas. Thanks, it's really great to be here. So with this podcast, the idea behind it is to kind of get to know everybody from Mohawk and maybe just dive a little deeper into who they are and, you know, the person they are outside of the actual studio. So one of the first questions I'd like to ask is, where did you grow up? I actually uh, grew up in Baltimore. I've pretty much been in and around Baltimore all my life. I just kind of love it here. It feels like home to me. I can't really imagine being anywhere else now. Are you in the city proper? I used to be. I am actually up in Baltimore County currently, but I still get around. Well, I used to before COVID. Yeah, I can understand that. So I, just before we move forward, I'm curious to know about the origins of your name, Aeneas. It's very pretty and it's very unique. Could you tell me a little bit about how you got named that way? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So uh, this is actually kind of a fun fact about me. It's not my real name. My legal name is Ashley, but Aeneas is my preferred name. And I actually got it from somebody who is very important to me in my life. And we were discussing like names in general. And I had gotten on the subject of how, while I liked my name, I didn't feel like it really matched me. And I was looking for a change both to make me feel more like myself and make me feel like my name felt more like myself. And they actually suggested Aeneas because it was inspired by the famous writer Aeneas Nin. And I actually spend some time writing in my free time and they had seen some of my writing. So it was kind of a natural pick. <laughs> I love it. So Aeneas, I wanted to come back to you growing up in Baltimore. Could you tell me a little bit about that? Have you been there your whole life? Yeah, I've been in Baltimore my whole life. I've actually gone to school here, both elementary, middle school, all the way through high school. It's a great place to be. I've, I, I really like Baltimore because I feel like there's a real strong sense of community in Baltimore. Like you know all of your neighbors, all of your neighbors know each other. If you go out to go to work in the morning and you have a flat tire, it's almost guaranteed somebody's going to come out and help you. And just growing up, being around all those helpful people, in addition to just doing all the normal things kids do, like going down to the snowball stand on the corner for a nice little Friday treat, just little memories like that and things like that make me really enjoy having been here my whole life. Surprisingly enough, I actually spent some of my earliest years in Baltimore and they're some of my best memories because we used to live in a row home there in Baltimore. And just like you said, like everybody was just so tightly knit. And so like I would just, you know, walk a couple doors down and play with my good friends and we'd get on our power wheels and we'd, you know, ride through the neighborhood and stuff like that. And you know, it's it's funny you say that because it's just one of those memories that I had that stuck with me. And I've I've been a lot of places, but Baltimore really stood up for me. Yeah, yeah. I have a lot of memories like that, too. It's, it's funny. Some days I really do wish that I could go back to the simple days of just riding my three-wheeler around the block and not really caring about anything aside from when the streetlights came on. I 100% agree. I had a, a, a night Rider three-wheeler, and I remember thinking I was super cool with it. So I, I would love to go back to that time where, yeah, it was kind of just like, hey, go out and play and come back in when the lights come on. Yeah. So what did you study? I understand you obviously clearly you went to school there in Baltimore, but what did you study? What was your like your focus? Well, interestingly, 
I didn't have much experience with this in other high schools. I hadn't heard about it from my friends, but I actually chose Baltimore Polytechnic Institute because when you finish your sophomore year and you go into your junior year, you can actually choose to basically specialize in either math and science or engineering. And I actually went the engineering route and I studied a lot of like AutoCAD and things like that in my uh, senior years of high school. And I actually really enjoyed it a lot. Oh man, I so another memory that you just brought back to my <laughs> my forefront here is that I remember you know going through an engineering class and using AutoCAD. Now, does that get any easier cuz I feel like AutoCAD was just really difficult to understand. AutoCAD definitely is a little difficult to understand. It it's one of those programs that I actually have like a very strong soft spot for because I I picked it up rather easily. Like it definitely was difficult at first, but AutoCAD eventually became one of my favorite classes and it just felt like a program that was so natural to use. Yeah. So what did you end up doing with that? Well, mostly I started studying it because like I was actually really interested in just like looking at the different fields of engineering because we kind of start with the basics and then you can move on to college and go into any of the specialized fields that you want with some of that basis. But, (laughs) and this is interesting, I actually more went for engineering because I wouldn't call math and science my strongest suits. Like I'm, I'm generally okay with math, but science makes my head hurt. So (laughs) (laughs) engineering felt like it felt like a natural fit for me. Okay, help me understand. I just would have been so sure that there was math involved in engineering. Is there not? Oh, there's definitely math involved. And I think it was more like piecemealing for me. So it was between the choice of do I want to take engineering and then learn the engineering math that, you know, comes from that? Or do I want to go straight into math and have to do the trigonometry and the calculus and (laughs) all of those things? And I kind of went for engineering because of all the maths, I'm probably best at geometry and that one comes into play a lot. So I felt more comfortable with it. Once you finished school, what did you end up doing from there? I briefly went to college for a little bit. I was actually studying computer science very briefly, but I actually ended up taking a break for some personal reasons, and I ended up getting into QA that summer, and I've kind of been here ever since because it just, it really just kind of formed into something that really became a huge part of my life because it was something that I had always done as a kid. And like, when you hear about QA jobs, like, especially when you're younger, you're like, oh my gosh, that's so crazy. I can't believe that people actually do that. So when I had found myself landing one of those roles, it was definitely one of those moments where it's like, ah, I can't believe this, you know? That's awesome. So where did you start with QA? I actually started with a third party company. It was originally called E4E. It was Pull to Win International by the time that I left. But I started with them and my very first QA project that I ever worked on was Lord of the Rings War in the North. And from there, I actually moved on and started doing a lot of Zanga titles. So when the Facebook games blew up and there was a Chefville and a Farmville and a Coasterville. Chances are I've probably worked on them. They were a lot of fun. Okay. So I've had many interviews with much of the Mohawk staff and I feel like all roads led through Zynga at some point. I feel like they've gobbled up most of you at some point in your careers. That's crazy. What did you do for them? 
Well, it's interesting. I actually never worked directly for Zanga. I did go out and visit their studios, though, and it was their studios were. It, it was something out of a dream for me, like just being able to go through all of the different floors and seeing how they basically had a theme for each floor. I, I can't remember the floor specifically at this point, but I remember they took me to one of the kitchens that was specifically set up to just have a giant cereal bar. Like if you could name any possible cereal you would want to eat, they had it there. That was a lot of fun. After Pull to Win, I took a break. I spent some time working for some law offices, which was new and interesting, but it was a lot of fun just to get out there. When I came back into QA, I actually spent some time with Enemax and I worked on titles like Fallout 4 and The Doom that released in 2016. I spent most of my time with ZeniMax working on Fallout Shelter, the mobile title. Oh, that's a great game too. I spent a lot of hours in Fallout Shelter. And so can you tell me a little bit about like how your job works? Like like what's the flow for you? Like what what kind of stuff do you do and what's the like the process of getting through quality assurance look like? Sure. So we typically start each day and we start it with a report that we get that basically details all of the changes that went into the game over the last 24 hours. And so we'll go through those and confirm that those are working as uh, expected. And if not, we can put in bugs to the developers and work to getting those tracked and fixed. Typically, when we are done with all of our new changes, we switch focus to Anything major that's in the pipeline, like if we're working on some big multiplayer changes, we'll fire up our multiplayer games and et cetera from there. We do also do a lot of regressions. So it might seem normal to think that you just, you know, you you write a bug and you throw it into the system and you never think about it again. But we actually follow them to completion. They usually, we send them in developers take a look, they send them back to us, and then we have to go through and regress those tickets and make sure that the fixes are working as expected. So QA can be a lot of looking at the same stuff over and over again, and it definitely requires some patience, but I've actually found that I really enjoy the process just because getting the chance to dig into those games and really look at them that deeply and watch them progress as they're actively being built it's it's it it makes the process feel so much bigger to me in a way if that makes sense yeah i'm sure like to see the fruits of your labor you know actually come to fruition and the end product as a result of that and i think that would be really cool and and rewarding but I'm curious because you mentioned this and I'm I'm reminded of that one bug and I don't know if you're familiar with this but in Skyrim where one of the ogres would could hit somebody and they would go like millions of miles into the air and you know it was a fun bug to see and I'm just curious if there's any bugs or anything that you've run across through your testing and quality assurance that really stood out to you or, or maybe a couple that were just like absolutely crazy that you couldn't help but think they were pretty wild and maybe even should have st- stayed in the game Interestingly, I think the thing that I find most fun about some of the iconic old world bugs, I guess you could call them, isn't just the bugs as they occur, but I think one thing that makes them really fun is the community finding a way to make them fun. We actually had a bug floating around for a while where some wonders and even certain some improvements being built on certain tiles, they would just continue to grow in height each turn. So eventually people would get to a point where it's like, 
I grew, I, you know, I built the hanging gardens and now it's 20 feet above everything else on the map, (laughs) just on its own plateau. And, you know, the professional side of me is driving myself absolutely wild. Like what is happening? Why is this bug occurring? I have to find it. I have to figure it out. I have to fix it. But then like being able to switch over to the discord and seeing like players, like sharing their screenshots, like this is so fun. I'm going to be upset when this is fixed. It, it definitely, it makes it fun. And it, it reminds me that while we're definitely going to experience bugs while we're continuing to work through this process, it's it's really rewarding to be working through this process with such a great team and such a great group of players that just continue to make things fun. So when did you actually come to Mohawk? I actually started with Mohawk uh, just about a year ago. I actually started with them in February of last year. Oh, cool. So you're on your one year anniversary. Congratulations. Thank you. So how did you find them? Is it our strategy game something you enjoy or is it just the location or like what, what brought you to Mohawk? I was actually recommended by a friend of mine. My good friend Kat is our uh, HR manager and I had worked with her uh, previously when we were working at Sparky Pants Studios on Drop Zone, which is another real-time strategy game. And she actually told me about Mohawk and what really drew me to Mohawk wasn't just the strategy game it was it was hearing the great things about the culture like i had heard like a little about the things that mohawk was doing just to make it a better environment just for everyone and to make it a more equal environment amongst the genders and the races and i'm sure that you know there's there's no end of horror stories that you can hear in the industry but when you do find those industries or those studios that are doing the work to actually acknowledge those problems and work through them, like that's what's most important to me. And that's what drew me to Mohawk ultimately. Yeah, I think that's really cool. And I think that's definitely something that Mohawk's kind of leading the way on. And I, I can agree with that. And so I'm also curious to know, are you as a QA tester, are you like before COVID, I'm forgetting that COVID exists sometimes, but before COVID, were, was that something that you worked mostly remotely with or are you in, were you in the studio before COVID? I was actually probably the last new hire before we switched to a remote studio. When I started, I was actually uh, commuting to the Mohawk office and I was with them and then we, we went remote the next month. So I was only in the office very briefly, but I did get a chance to go in and meet everyone. So that was pretty cool, especially just to put some names to faces before the whole world started going crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right. Right. So with that, I mean, how do you think that COVID has affected your workflow now? Is it not really that changed? Because I mean, I imagine that a lot of the things that you do are playing the game. And then of course, you know, digging deep as you were talking about into some of these bug reports and then reporting on them. So do you feel like your ability to do your job has changed a lot since COVID started? I wouldn't say that my ability to do the job has changed since COVID started, but I would say that COVID has lent some additional struggles to the job. It's it's not that things are particularly harder when we're remote like this, but especially in QA, um, and I've just done this so many times just from working in studios throughout the years. A lot of times it can be really hard to like 
specifically say what you're doing in terms of like repro steps or say specifically what you were doing in terms of gameplay. So when you're working with a team of QA testers, a lot of times it can be so easy to turn around like, hey, I'm having this issue. Can you run through this, you know, this list of steps for me on your machine so I can see how it's working on yours? And a lot of times that actually helps us get our repro down faster because instead of having to go through like, a back and forth chat of, can you try these steps, et cetera, et cetera. It was just a matter of walking across the room like, hey, could you try this out for me? And being remote, it definitely, it adds some time onto activities like that, but it it, it doesn't really make them impossible, not by any means. I think if anything, some of the things we do just require a little more extra love and attention now. That's all. And personally, how has COVID affected you? I mean, are you someone who used to be really social and go out a lot? Or are you more of a homebody that would normally stay home? Interestingly, I'm actually more of a homebody these days. I was definitely more sociable when I was younger, but I'm I'm starting to get to the point where I'm just like, just, just sit me at home, give me a nice blanket, and I'm good to go. <laughs> that being said, COVID's been hard. I didn't think that I was a very social person before this, but I think even just the absence of being able to take a walk and do it safely or being able to walk down the street and catch up with a neighbor and do it safely, you find that you take a lot of those things for granted when you can't do them anymore. And I'm definitely in one of those positions where I didn't realize that I took a lot of those things for granted. Yeah, if anything, I think COVID's provided a lot of perspective so that once we're done with this, we can maybe appreciate things more, right? Definitely, because uh, it's it's funny. I shouldn't... It makes me feel like I'm I'm definitely that, that, that friend that would more often than not get to the day of the plans and be like, oh, I'm just not really feeling it today, guys. Could we cancel? And I feel like after COVID, I'm probably going to start doing that a lot less just now that we've been in this situation where it's like, ah, I wish I wouldn't have said no to all those social gatherings. <laughs> I know that all too well. I just, I'm the same way. The older I get, the more I'm like, eh, do I really have to? <laughs> and yeah, I feel like now if I could go back and just at least have done more, that would have been great. I, I wouldn't feel so, you know, I'm not saying that I feel lonely and I know that, you know, a lot of people do, but I just feel like I, I could have taken advantage of some of the opportunities to be more social. But beyond that, like what kind of things do you do in your personal life? What kind of hobbies do you have? Uh, my personal life, uh, I actually spend a lot of my time either playing video games or pet wrangling. I currently have a house cat. He is absolutely bonkers. If if there was a cat that was the human embodiment of obnoxiousness, <laughs> he would be that cat. I love him to death, though. He's he's wonderful. And his name is Melek, and he will forever be an important part of my life, just with his yelling and his cuddles. I also have a bearded dragon. Her name is Ray. She is between six and eight months old at this point. We didn't really get a proper age for her, but she she's absolutely wonderful. I've I had wanted an experience of being able to care for something that didn't seem so normal. And that makes me it makes me feel like I'm I'm saying it in a way like I'm a trendsetter. I'm absolutely not. And it's not like I was sitting there like, I don't want to get a dog because it's too mainstream. I just 
I wanted something that was different and like made me feel like connected in terms of my interest. Cause I had always had a huge interest in snakes growing up, but I feel like if I were to get a snake, I don't think my dad would ever visit me again. And that would be horribly sad. <laughs> so I actually went for a bearded dragon and it's just been an experience just going from a normal house pet of, okay, do they have everything they need? Do they get enough attention to, okay, does this creature have the specific environment she needs? Cause like she needs the perfect temperature. She needs the perfect ratio of things in her tank to get exercise. She needs special water and food and different ratios of stuff. It's been a lot of learning and getting things right, but it's been really rewarding. I have to ask, does, I mean, does a bearded dragon get out and play? I mean, does it like come out of the cage and interact? How does that work? Oh yeah, they can actually come out once they get big enough. She actually just got to the point where she got big enough to actually come out of her tank. She was a little too small up until very recently. And so she's actually just gotten her first couple of chances to really get out and explore the apartment. And it's a lot of fun. You have to be a little careful if you have other pets in the house just because they're they're bigger than her. But it I almost think of it kind of like having just it almost feels like probably the same thing as having a small child. Like if there's something that she can climb on, she's going to climb on it. She's going to climb up it. The couches, the walls, it's it's not safe. None of it's safe. She'll she'll go for anything. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. I used to have sugar gliders way back when, like 15 years ago, back before I think they were even legal. And it was also an experience like that because sugar gliders are very specific and they require a very specific diet. And eventually you can let them out too. And and the same thing, they climb up on everything. <laughs> so that just reminds me of that. Yeah, yeah. She has a lot of fun. And I, I, I usually, I, I let her give her her free reign just because I can't imagine just I understand that the environment has to be special for her and that's like what she likes, but I'm sure nobody likes being in a box like that. So it's, it's really nice getting to let her out and let her run around. They can actually run around outside too, but I'm going to wait for her to get a little bit bigger before we start doing things like that. Do you guys have snow up that way? Yeah, we've actually been getting quite a bit of it. It's all starting to melt now, which makes me happy because I still try to walk occasionally when I can just to get some exercise. But we actually got hit pretty good in February, but we usually do get it just about every winter. Some are worse than others, but for the most part, we're pretty good. Like maybe a few inches here and there, usually later in the winter, but some days, like sometimes we do get it really bad, like the blizzards back in the 90s, of course. Yeah, I remember those very well. I'm also very close. I'm in the Northern Virginia area, so I'm not too far from you. But I, you mentioned playing video games, and I'm curious to know which type of video games you most enjoy. I'm the biggest fan of a good role-playing game. I, I really like the games where you can jump in, you can create your own character, and you can kind of start weaving your story from there and picking and choosing as you go. Those are definitely the games that I find myself most deeply immersed in. But that being said, I'm kind of all over the map. Like, if I'm in the mood for a good strategy game, obviously these days I'm picking up Old World. I, I'm also a fan of a lot of chill titles, like some nights just sitting out on the couch and playing Animal Crossing on Switch is great, or just vegging out with The Sims and losing an entire weekend. <laughs> Which titles and role-playing have you really enjoyed the most? 
I think that Fallout 3 will probably always be my favorite just because it was my introduction into that genre. I really enjoyed 4. New Vegas was also good. I've spent entirely too much time on Skyrim. I, I, I like to swap between the Fallouts and the Skyrims depending on what aesthetic I'm looking for. And I mean, sometimes I can even go for other genres that would seem unusual for me because I'm not usually into horror type things, but I love turning on a good Resident Evil every now and then, maybe even a Silent Hill. So I really am just all over the place. It kind of just depends on what mood I'm in that day. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm dating myself a little bit, but I played Fallout like from the very beginning, Fallout 1 back in the 90s. And I have been a Fallout fan ever since, so I, I'm with you. I think those are great games, and Fallout 3 has a special place in my heart, too. So tell me a little bit more about where you are with Old World right now. So I understand you guys are kind of you know in the home stretch in some ways, and I was curious to know, like, what are your main responsibilities now? Is there anything now that's like kind of nagging at you that you're really trying to work on? I think... Getting to the end of like that main stretch, it actually you you stop you stop looking, and this might be me personally. I've I've stopped pinpointing on things like as specifics, and I've more moved into an area where I'm I'm stressing about like the big picture, like not stressing in a bad way, but it's it's just one of those things where it's like you've been putting all of this work into something and you're you're getting down to that final line when you're gonna put it out there to the world and see what people think. And like just being in that headspace of, okay, we've still got some stuff we need to do, but we've still got to make sure everything else is locked in and ready to go. Just thinking about all of that and making sure that everything feels like it's in a good place, not just the new stuff, but even existing features like that's, that's kind of where I'm at right now. And speaking of features, and as someone who's played Old World probably more than most anybody, what are some of your favorite features of Old World? I think my favorite feature in Old World is honestly the entire character system. Like my introduction into the strategy game, particularly civilization management was civilization. And I started with five. I played a little bit of six, but I was mostly always on five. And while I enjoyed, you know, civilization management and the strategy of it, what makes old world feel so much more deeper to me is the introduction of characters. Like if you fire up old world and you select Carthage, you're not going to be Dido the whole game. And like, she's, you're going to go through her family tree procedurally, but even just going through the characters of the family tree as they're born and they live their lives and they expand on top of that, as you're playing the game, you're actively picking up traits for those people. You're weaving stories with those people through the events and you really get a close connection to your characters. Like, I find myself when I'm playing old world, a lot of the times I'm not sitting there like, oh, I've got to get my sieve in order. You know, I've got to get this, you know, doing this. Like I'm more focused on the characters and like how attached I've become to them. Like I've got to remember she has this trait and maybe this can come into play when we're using this. And it makes the game feel really deep to me. And you find that you become more attached to some saves than others because of maybe a, a funny 
chain of events that happened that put you in a really good position or you just have like a really great cast of characters that you've managed to build up as you were managing your sieve. Yeah, that's absolutely something that I could agree with too. And this, my favorite part of the, the game too, I think it's what, set a, what sets it apart, right? It's kind of like a Crusader Kings theme and it's it makes me feel much more involved and engaged. And so, I mean, at this point, do you know how many hours you've actually put into Old World? I could probably go through <laughs> my uh, my different uh, epic portals and find out if there was a way. But at this point, it's it's probably hundreds and hundreds. Uh, I mean, obviously, I do it every day for work, and that's just part of the job. But it's 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 it also comes into play in my free time. Like a lot of times, I'll be sitting there over the weekend, like. Uh, I was really enjoying that feature that I was testing on Thursday, but I wanted to get a deeper look at it. Let's just fire up a game. And a lot of times <laughs> you uh, you find that you just keep doing something because you enjoy it so much. And you like Old World and continuing to watch it through its release. It's it's kind of become more than just a job for me. It's it feels like it's something that I'm actively checking on just to make sure that it's okay. Like I, I check in with it. It feels like uh, a treasured friend. <laughs> I have to check up on it each day and see how things are going. And I really enjoy it a lot. Make sure it's taking its medication and, you know, eating right and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. It's, 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 I think that's probably one of the things that I just like most about being in this industry. Just, I've always, had a connection to games just because it was one of my biggest interests growing up. But you find that when you actually get a chance to move through this industry, you you feel something special for those titles that you got a chance to work on. Like, I'm sure that there's any number of people that were just against the Facebook games because of what it was doing to the platform. But I I love looking back on those games and just... They hold a special place in my heart. Well, Anais, I'm curious because you kind of alluded to more, but what else do you like to do in your spare time other than games and taking care of your your dragon and your cat, your pet dragon? I'm sorry, your what's it called? I'm sorry, I wanted to call it your dragon, but I know I know it's dragon something or something dragon. Yeah, she's a bearded dragon. Thank you. Um, so, yeah, what do you like to do other than play video games and take care of your bearded dragon? I'd say uh, other than that, uh, my interests lie particularly in social justice. Like I and obviously sometimes you do just have to take breaks because of like mental health and other things. But society as a whole, like I feel like we've been having a lot of what may feel like uncomfortable situation or uncomfortable conversations, but they're very necessary conversations. And I'm constantly thinking about what I can do both to be a better person and be a more conscious person, both about things like my race and my gender and how they might give me extra privileges in society that somebody else might not have. So a lot of times I am actively looking into those issues, learning more about those issues and doing my best to get out there and make change when I can. Obviously, we're not doing a lot of that these days because of COVID. But before COVID, if I could, I was getting out and marching. I was donating to charities and other good causes. And it's 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 very rewarding. Like, I, I feel like I say a lot of things are rewarding, but I think it is really important that 
all of us take some time to like actually look at those issues and think about them and think about where we stand in them and think about where everyone else stands in them. And it's been really great seeing those conversations take place. And I'm really excited to see the change that comes from all of the actions that these groups are pulling together to fight for. And I just want to lend a hand when I can. Yeah, you say that. And I know that Baltimore has kind of been a hotbed for a lot of political issues lately. And I imagine that it would be pretty rewarding to get involved in that and to, to you know, become the change you want to see, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, I mean, I can totally understand why it, it, it might seem just like a vibe, you know, definitely something that seems intimidating because you might be having uncomfortable conversations about yourself or people that you may know, or even somebody that you looked up to your whole life. But something that's always been most important to me, just whether it be in the game industry, in life, in, you know, circles with my friends, like I always want to make sure that people are the safest and the happiest and the healthiest that they can be. And so getting involved in those spaces has both helped me be more aware of myself and I definitely strive to take better care of myself, but I also like see the importance of, you know, lending a hand when you can or just having those conversations with people and doing what you can to make that change. I know you're not doing this to receive feedback like this, but that sounds really noble. I think that's really cool of you to put yourself out like there and, and, you know, try to make a difference. I appreciate you saying that. And I don't think that like, while I can see that it definitely does come off as something that seems noble, I would say that what's important is I would like to see the day when we get to a place where, where things like that, like, aren't seen as a noble gesture and are more seen as just something that everybody should be doing. And I think that that's like a lot of the issues that we're all working on right now. Like we are working to get to a place like that and it'll be really worth it when we get there. Yeah, I can understand that. So it's more like a, a common decency thing instead of being like, you know, leading the way on some sort of social revolution. Yeah, absolutely. And interestingly enough, I think that Working on Old World helped me fall into that a little more deeply, not in the way that it, it, it made me feel more strongly about it. But w one big part of working on Old World is uh, constantly going back and pouring over the history to make sure that we're getting it right for the time period that we're shooting for. And doing that for the game has also made me better at going back and analyzing history for the sake of those other issues that we commonly work on. And I think it's really interesting, just the different little things that you can pick up depending on like what studio you're at or what kind of project you're working on. Like I've, I've definitely picked up a few little tricks throughout the years and going through the studios. But one thing that I've gotten from old world is definitely just going back and pouring over the history. And I think that, I think we could really learn a lot. And I think we should start doing things like that more and more just all over the place. And not just for when we're recreating historical pieces or when we're analyzing issues, like it could really come in handy in a lot of ways. I completely agree. I think it's 
kind of a sad state of affairs now in our current system and education system where a lot of people don't understand some of the history that, you know, is is a foundation of where we are right now. And they don't understand that, you know, in a lot of ways we could learn so much from what we've already done. And we just seem to repeat ourselves over and over again. So I, I'm with you. I think that's, you know, a really great point. Well, Anais, you kind of touched on this before and, you know, you mentioned you came to Mohawk because of how it was, you know, forward thinking and how it's kind of, you know, trying to make the workplace a little bit more inclusive. And I kind of want to know and pick your brain a bit about how you think the industry could be better moving forward. Like, what do you think are some of the things that plague it the most and how do you think we could address those? I think that some of the issues that the industry as a whole is facing the most right now is inequality in the workplace, both in terms of male versus female, as well as Caucasian employees versus African-American employees. And in addition to that, another thing that we see a lot of is abuse in the industry, whether it's verbal or sexual. And a lot of times... I feel like these, like a story might break and, and you might get an article about it, but largely it's, it's just a story that you read on the news. And I think that as an industry to move forward and actually grow and learn from those instances, we do need to start holding those abusers accountable when those situations arise. And so I think moving forward, the industry would really benefit from people in leadership roles being both aware of how being African-American in the industry can affect you, being a woman in the industry can affect you, and not only drawing attention to those issues, but actually working through them. And overall, I think that some of the things that would get us to a better place is just seeing the level of it should, it should be a professional environment. There, it's, it's hard to put it all into words, and it's hard to specifically see the change when we're not at the end of the road. But overall, I think that what's important is not only seeing and acknowledging the issues that we've already faced, but then actually combating them with real change. And that was kind of what drew me to Mohawk, because... Uh, me and Layla actually talked at length when I was first going through the hiring process just about what we both wanted to see from the industry. And I felt really great about Mohawk because it was so wonderful to come into a studio and have a conversation with another woman about what she wanted from the studio, what she wanted from her employees, just in terms of us interacting with each other. And it's definitely a good first step. Like if just being aware that those things are in the industry and changing your policies to kind of acknowledge and prevent those, that's a big step just in and of itself. And I think that a lot of studios would benefit from also making changes like that. That was really well said, Anais. I really, I like that. I like that a lot. And I'm also hopeful that it's, focuses or it shifts from, you know, acknowledgement and, you know, understanding when and, and seeing when it's happening and also maybe start shifting towards fixing it, right? I know in a lot of ways you're right that like the acknowledgement of it is the beginning of fixing. 
But I would like to see an endpoint where it's no longer something we have to talk about. Yeah, absolutely. And overall, even aside from some of the harder issues to face, like the ones I just mentioned, I think one of the biggest things that I want to see for the game industry as a whole is just more job security for everyone involved. Like anybody that's been in this industry for years can tell you that almost usually, depending on circumstances, whether it be complications with a publisher or complications with funding or complications with just a project in general, a lot of times we do end up in situations where studios have to close their doors and 25%, 50%, 75%, who knows, maybe even whole studios are being left unemployed because of just unfortunate circumstances in the industry. And I think that the industry would benefit overall from moving in a way where we're both creating spaces for people to stay and continue to grow, but also we're, we're, we're creating support networks for when those situations still inevitably happen. Because obviously there are still going to be situations of, you know, this studio is closing and we're not going to be working on another project. But instead of it just being a situation of, you know, well, all this studio is out of a job now, I'd, I'd like to see the industry creating support networks and like maybe even just networking circles. So there's more security for the employees. Like nobody should ever put their all into a project for months and months on end just to have to deal with a layoff at the end of it. Again, that's really well said. I I hope that too. I'd, I'd love to see a support network like that. I mean, like almost like the, a, a LinkedIn for former developers and stuff that kind of get caught up in that unfortunate layoff cycle. So great stuff, Anais. I'm curious because you mentioned your father before and you said that he comes as, do you have any other family in the area? Uh, yeah, my uh, family actually lives in Baltimore. So they're still in the city while I'm up in the county now. It is my mom and my dad. And I have I have two siblings. I have a brother that I've lived with my entire life and he's great. Just absolutely wonderful. I would say we are the textbook sibling relationship of we pretty much hated each other up until we were about 18 years old and things have been pretty good from then. Um, I also have a half sister and I haven't gotten the chance to meet her yet, but we have spoken online and I'm looking forward to maybe getting together and meeting her after all of this is over and we can start meeting up again. Awesome. What does your brother do? My brother's actually a delivery driver. He's been dealing, uh, he's kind of in between jobs right now because of just the pandemic in general, but he keeps himself busy. A lot of times if he's, you know, just in the house or around the neighborhood, he'll go out and help the neighbors as he can, like maybe mowing lawns or, you know, helping them with their pets, et cetera, et cetera. He likes to get out there and help people too. And I'm really glad about that. Well, it sounds like your parents raised you guys both pretty well. So very good stuff. Anais, it's been really great to get to know you. And I'm curious, as we kind of wrap things up here, where we can find you online. So I'm actually a bit of a lurker. I don't really have a lot of official social media accounts floating around. I more like to play in the background. But that being said, if anybody did want to pop by and 
say hi to me on social media. You can definitely catch me in public old world Discord server. You can always drop in there and just say hi to me and we can start a conversation. I know she's the patch note Santa for everybody who knows when you get the patch notes every Monday and everybody gets super excited. Aeneas is the one that's dropping those. So you can thank her for those very thorough and very exciting patch notes. The patch notes are probably the most fun for me. I definitely look forward to dropping them every Monday and Wednesday, especially those days where I go to check the chats and make sure everything's looking good before I drop them. And I see those little notes from our super excited players like, oh, I can't wait for five when the update comes. And that just makes me (laughs) just as excited as they are. That's awesome. That's so good. Like I said, Anais, it's been really great to get to know you and I wish you the best of luck. And of course, like I said before, I really, I really appreciated your input on some of the things that are going on in the industry. And like you, I hope that some changes can be made and that it sounds like we're heading in the right direction. Yeah, absolutely. I really enjoyed this talk and I thank you for giving me the space to talk about some of that stuff. It's, it's, it was really great just to put some of that out there and talk about it both in terms of where we're at where we're going and what we'd like to see <laughs>